The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your public radio source for the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing career. And let me get this out of the way up front. The Potentially the biggest online RIA meeting of all time is happening tomorrow night. You might as well join in with the 600 plus people who have already registered to hear Pete Fortunato, Dyke Spotterford, Dave Tilney, and Jane Garvey discuss what happens to real estate when there is double digit inflation. Hmm, seems like a timely topic. I don't know. If you don't recognize those names, they are all folks who uh, were investing in real estate the last time we had rising interest rates. Big inflation, an oil crisis, a cold war. I mean, it, it really it really sounds like 1976 right now, doesn't it? And they learned a lot about how to deal with things like, uh, I don't know, 18% interest rate mortgages and um, tenants whose wages were not keeping up with the expenses on their rental properties. And they have a lot of wisdom about, like, is right now a really good time to sell? Or is it a good time to buy or maybe one or the other? Um, do you want to be making private loans or buying notes that are fixed rate in a market where the claimed interest rate is, or the claimed claim inflation rate is 8% and a lot of people think it might be higher than that because it doesn't you know, include things like gas and tuition and rents and medical care and stuff that we're all seeing go up more than 8% every year. So... Um, it's open to the public. There's no guest fee for this meeting. CincinnatiRia.com is where you go to get your link. You have to register and then it'll send you a link to be there tomorrow night. You can arrive as early as 530 Eastern for open question and answer. Six o'clock for our talk about the foreclosure tsunami. You're going to hear more about that uh, in just a moment. And then seven o'clock for the panel with the hyper experienced investors talking about good strategies for real estate during inflation. Again, that's CincinnatiRia.com. The other featured presentation tomorrow night is by a local Cincinnati RIA member, Tiffany Ray, who has the unusual set of um, credentials. <laughs> That she has both been in the banking industry for over 20 years and has been a housing provider for over 20 years. And she's like, like many of us back in the days when there were lots and lots and lots of short sales to pick from. 
she did herself some short sale investing uh, using what she had learned about the process, um, did that very successfully for a a good bit of time and is now thinking there might that opportunity might be coming around again. So our topic today is uh, what is up with the foreclosure market? What does the landscape look like? Why are we seeing what we're seeing? Which was, uh, you know, we were told that it wouldn't be a big deal, that lots of people didn't pay their mortgages for quite a long period of time because it was all, all the loans were going to be modified. It would be fine. No Americans were going to lose their houses. And uh, that is not what the statistics seem to be showing us. So joining me here in the studio is Tiffany Ray. Thanks for coming in today, Tiffany. I know you're busily probably preparing for tomorrow night, too. So, <laughs> Very, very true. Thank you for having me today, Vina. Um, yeah, really glad, really glad you could come because, again, you do have that kind of unique perspective of having been on both sides of the foreclosure desk, right? Being you know, Watching what's happening within the bank and also being the person trying to help the seller out of what's a situation no, no one ever wants to be in uh, in a graceful way through a short sale. So let's talk about this market. I mean, so when the when the foreclosure moratoriums were declared and then extended and extended, we didn't hear anything but that on the news. It was like, oh, yay, Congress has saved all Americans. And since the for, the moratorium started to expire back in, what was that, September, October of last year? That's and, right. And they were kind of rolling. It depended on when you got in. Mm-hmm. But I think they're all, I think everybody's rolled out now. Foreclosure starts are up 129%. Mm-hmm. So what is up? Yeah, so um, interesting time that we're in right now. Foreclosures are definitely on the rise nationwide. And you're right about that tsunami. It is forthcoming. If we take a look at some of the indicators in the market right now, you will see there is a change going on. You're right. The moratorium has been lifted. Foreclosures are on the rise uh, default rates are on the rise. I looked at a, a study from uh, Fannie Freddie, the GSEs of the market, and that percentage is up from uh, 1.65 to 2% in fourth quarter. Now, that may seem low to most people, but for a uh, government-backed enterprise, that's a, a really significant change. It's a significant delta. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So what happened to all the magic modification forbearances yes so during that time you know the cares act came about and and nearly 3.5 million people received modifications um it was a hurried event and a lot of them didn't read the uh fine print so to speak and those payments were uh did did not just go to the back of their loan uh, but it it put them in a precarious situation when they came out the other end which where where is where we are now being that they owed a lot more and their mortgage payments are somehow now more less unaffordable than they were when they went in mm-hmm. yeah i think maybe when they did all of this they weren't expecting that as you know the the fears about covid started to decline and as you know we have vaccines and all of that stuff um that everybody would get back to work and go back to work at the same job at the same rate right. and and instead what we've seen is of course just mass mass resignation we got you know millions of Americans who are who are still not working um mostly voluntarily i think because the the you know the, the employers are begging for employees and the reality is if you 
aren't working, you probably can't afford your mortgage payment. That's right. And I know that there is a lot of relief out there still, um, but, but some of those efforts are very difficult to get to. And those people that are offering the relief are even having staffing shortages, which is causing another influx in people being able to be provided assistance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's a big deal. And I can tell you, I've, I've spoken to a couple of people. I, I sort of woke up to all of this six, eight months ago, because all of a sudden we started getting calls from people who were having foreclosures filed on them. And of course, there had been two years of silence on Uh that front. Like we talked to nobody for a couple of years who was in that situation. And as I, as I started, you know, talking to him and saying, well, what's the story? Have you tried getting some of the relief? Have you tried applying for a, a permanent modification? This is the kind of thing I'm hearing. I don't really want the house at all. So I didn't bother to apply for a modification because it was, it was too big for me before we went into this. And now it's way too big for me. Or, uh, my spouse and I split up during the lockdown. We didn't turn out, we didn't like each other that well. And neither one of us can afford it on our own. So I can't get the modification. So, you know, here I am selling it or, um, my life has changed and I don't, I, I really don't, I'm not interested in staying here. I'm interested in moving nearer to my kids, things like that. So it's not just a financial matter. It it is a financial matter, but it's not just a financial matter. A lot of the stories we're hearing are people who I think they probably could get the little modification where they put the, you know, the pay, the back payments in the back of your loan, or they could get the uh, money, but they're choosing not to. They're right. choosing to sell. Work from home, I think, provided people a lot of opportunity to work from different places. You saw things springing up like Marriott, where you could work for Marriott for a day. I know people at work would go to the beach and work for a week, and it was like, oh my God, this is a brand new opportunity. And then people started being forced to come back to work and Folk didn't like that too much. So, <laughs> hey, time to make a change. And what better time than the present since we have this gloomy issue in front of us for mortgages anyway? We do. And we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Tiffany about how the banks are viewing this, whether they're feeling, you know, any pressure to maybe get rid of some of these properties a little cheaper um, about uh, the opportunities that might be happening in the coming months. And of course, we want to answer your questions while we have such a uniquely skilled person here. You can give us a call at 877-772-9658. Again, that's 877-772-9658. Or you can send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I received a text during the break from my assistant who is informing me that I lied to y'all earlier. We don't have 600 people registered for the Cincinnati RIA meeting tomorrow. We have 787 people registered for tomorrow. And that, uh, the reason she texted me was uh, that that suddenly creates a whole new problem, which is, little known fact, only a 1,000 people will fit on Zoom. <sighs> Good problem to have, I guess. But uh, yeah, if you were if you were thinking, yeah, I guess like there's not enough squares on your computer screen. I don't know. Like I don't understand that. It's a multinational company. You would think they could get a thousand and one people there, but no, we've we've gone we've been into this rodeo before. So uh, if you want to make sure you have your free seat for tomorrow night's class online, tomorrow's panel discussion. 
I would do it now. Uh, it's CincinnatiRIA.com. Just click on the meeting announcement on the front, and it'll take you over to the page where you can get registered and get your link. I'm excited and terrified, Tiffany. I don't know. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that is it. That may be the biggest online Zoom meeting in RIA. It might be the biggest RIA meeting in history. I don't know. So, and you're the one who gets to speak in front of all nice. of them. <laughs> Lucky me. So, um, let, let's talk about this from the bank side because sure. another thing I remember seeing early on, I, I remember clipping an article within the first month or two of the start of the pandemic that banks were adding staff to their mm-hmm. defaulted loan department and they were going to, you know, have people to handle this. And then it kind of was, you know, a lot of, a lot of nothing because they didn't, they didn't have defaulted loans. They, I mean, they did, but they weren't calling them that. They were calling them loans and forbearance. So now that we're actually seeing filings, like they're, at, they're actually showing up in courthouses around the country, are the servicers staffed up enough, uh, enough or do the lenders feel like there's going to be another bailout? What, what, what's happened on their side? So I've, I've not heard a lot about a potential bailout and I'll, I'll take your questions one by one. But what I am hearing is that we're going to have to deal with some really, really aggressive forbearance options. Uh, you saw that early on back um, with the strategic defaults in early 2007, six, seven, and eight, um, actually, and it was programs that really um, had meat on the bones that allowed people to stay in their house at an affordable rate. So I think some of that is forthcoming. But with respect to the staffing shortage, well, banks, if you go out online, you'll, you'll see, um, indeed, there are several postings uh, for loss mitigation all over the place. And so I feel that they're going to have some of the same issues as the help wanted signs at McDonald's, right? Not comparing a loss mitigator to a McDonald's specialist, but um, they're going to have some of the same issues. And what I feel is going to happen is that it, they will likely struggle with the volume and turn to uh, platforms, iPlatforms that will help them uh, simplify the process. So they're going to be some old service providers in the and some emerging market type folk that are going to, hey, build your platform up here and help us communicate with you. Well, man, they better do that quick. Because <laughs> remember how shorthanded they were in yes. 2007? Like it took them a year and a half to to even figure out what the systems were going to be and get enough people in there. And, and for, for that time, you couldn't get anybody on the phone. If you, if you were in foreclosure and you wanted to try and work something out or if you had a, a property under contract that you were trying to buy but you needed to talk to them about a short sale, good luck getting in touch with anybody. And it was just chaos. I mean, it was like you'd talk to somebody and they'd say, okay, fine, send me this stuff. And you'd call back three days later and they'd say, oh, that person's not here anymore. We moved them up to whatever so you got to send the stuff again so we may be in for a repeat of some of that um catching up <laughs> no kidding that was during the making home affordable act yeah and um I, like i said i think that they're going to struggle with the volume just like everything and and it's going to take some type of streamline or online service provider to help with the process but wait lines are going to be a thing and unfortunately for us we have um emails and telephone and not so much the facts anymore. We were faxing stuff back then. <laughs> I remember. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we we definitely have seen like anyone can Google uh, foreclosure starts yeah. first quarter twenty uh, twenty twenty two and see that they're they've they've more than doubled because we were in a moratorium a year ago. Of course, they've gone way up. But there's this whole process that goes into a bank actually 
pursuing that default, taking it to court, getting the judgment, doing the sheriff sale, all of that sort of thing. Do you feel like from what you're seeing that lenders and more so the servicers are aggressively pursuing those or are they are they just are they letting people continue to be in default without filing in a filing filing foreclosure in a timely manner right so um that's a loaded question wow so i I don't think it's a, a letting them be in default so some servicers um the gscs have specific guidelines for which the bank is required to send out a default notice and so we still have to adhere to those guidelines um however the first act is retention we want the banks want to for the customer to retain the home and be paid. That's how they make money. Um, there's always a loss that you take when a loan goes the first day that it goes into default and a customer uh, is unable to make their payment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And and I'm sorry, I know this is sidetracking what we said we were going to talk about. Okay. But I, I'm starting to hear that thing again about the bank wants to take my house because it's worth more and they will ah, make money on equity it. Equity piece. Yeah. So that is a real thing. Um, our market is hot, no doubt, right now. And what I think people are missing about that is be, we've historically called these short sales where the bank would uh, take less than what is owed on the property. But because we have this uh, equity boom, if you will, the, the houses are full of equity and we called them last year, if you were with us at the OREA convention, the word short sale became full sales because the bank could absolutely recoup all of their money back and any fees that were assessed. So it's not that the bank wants to take the house, but it wants to recoup all of their uh, losses on on the property. As you or I would if we were the lender absolutely. on that property. Um, but there's this there's this like, I don't know misunderstanding of how this works out there that if a bank does have to go all the way to the auction mm-hmm. and they are the winning bidder which means that house didn't have any equity because the only way the bank's going to be the winning bidder is if someone else didn't outbid them and if someone else didn't outbid them it's because there was no equity and then they take them back and make all sorts of money on them and the reality is foreclosures are extraordinarily expensive That's for right. banks that's right. The the bank is not making any money off of a foreclosure. So you have to consider the factors that go into it. And I don't want to be too technical, but let's say a judicial foreclosure like a New York or a New Jersey. Oh my. Yeah, that's right. So you're three years in before you the, even get to it, the sale. Exactly. <laughs> so the customer's not paying there. If they're not paying, then there's also not insurance, which the bank has to foot. Then there's um, also going to be taxes and insurance or taxes that the bank also has to foot mm-hmm. and maybe HOA. Then there are filing fees and attorney fees and legal fees and, and property just, preservation fees you, and, and so on and so on and so on. Yeah, I read I read that a typical foreclosure costs a bank fifteen thousand dollars just mm-hmm. in those kinds of fees. And that was I read that 15 years ago. So end. I'm guessing it's probably that's right more than that now. So yeah, this idea, guys, of pe- the banks want properties, that is not true. If they wanted them, they wouldn't sell them the second they got a hold of them. Um, so do you think given the combination of there's a hot market, mm-hmm. there aren't enough properties for the people who want them, and now we're potentially dumping a bunch of properties onto the market via 
short sales and mm-hmm. also if they don't sell at short sale, going through the process and ending up being what we call REOs, bank-owned properties mm-hmm. at the back end. Opportunity or not, like it, it's, it seems like we've got – it's a seesaw. We've got two things going on at once. Definitely, I, but I still think there's going to be significant um, opportunity, especially if you're in the game early. Yeah, you're right. Um, the competition is going to be fierce. We're short of regular affordable homes anyway, and uh, uh, so there's a, a housing crisis. However, um, with these houses coming on the market, I think you're just going to have to know how to navigate the landscape. You hit it on the the nail on the head earlier when you said that banks do not want to be in the business of renting houses. So that's not why they exist. Um, it's, it's making money. But the because the moratorium disrupted uh, the houses that are on the market, because there's um, lack of housing and new housing, because construction prices are, you can't even get materials, right? That's a thing, <laughs> right? True. Some people can't even fix them. There, There's going to be an overabundance. You just need to know points of entry. And that's some of the things that we're going to discuss uh, in, in part tomorrow on the call. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have several more questions here, but I also have some questions from listeners that I sort of wanted to get to because oh I, I hate, I hate leaving folks, you know, they send me emails and then I don't, I don't get to answer them. So, uh, this one is from Vince and, and by the way, I, I know I haven't given this reminder lately folks, but it, it's very helpful in some cases to let us know where you are writing from especially in a situation like this where we're talking about foreclosures, which actually work differently in deed of trust states than they do in judicial states like Ohio. So Vince asks, how is it possible to get to a pre-foreclosure problem with enough time to do something about it before the auction? Yeah. So you just, you also just hit the nail on the head. Think about Georgia. Mm -hmm. Quick. Texas. Texas. Mississippi. You're going to miss it. Right. So you're you're looking at earlier on the call, I said default rates are rising. You're looking at it at first first payment defaults that that is one area of opportunity where you want to get in. If they go sideways to payments and they're in a fast foreclosure state, then you're not going to have time to do anything. So you have to be in at the very beginning. And that's the pre foreclosure stage. Okay, so in. If you happen to be in a deed of trust state, Vince, you're going to want to get your hands on what's typically called a 30, 60, 90 day list. Mm-hmm. And, and what that means is it's a list of people. You buy a 30 day list or a 60 day list or a 90 day list. You, if you're in a quick foreclosure state, you probably want to buy the 30 day list, which would be people who did not make a payment last month. If you're in a state like Ohio, you got a little more time. <laughs> If you're in Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, uh, Kentucky, places where there's judicial foreclosure and the process can literally be, uh, the quickest it's ever going to be is about six months. And that's from the date of the filing to the date of the sale. And there might be three to six months of missed payments before that. You, you got more time. And I think the basis of Vince's question is how do I find the people who might be in pre-foreclosure that I could reach out to and say, hey, are you looking to get out? Are you looking to stay? What are you looking to do? And and see if he could find a deal. And so I agree with you. I think the, the list um, is a great place to start. Um, also, con- considering what's going on in the economy right now, um, we've had a big 
property tax increase. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that has because the value of the property is based on the recent sale of the homes. People aren't thinking about what um, us fix and flippers come in and do to that place. And and it may be hurting some legacy legacy residents. And those people may have some back taxes. That may be another point of entry early before they actually miss a payment. Mm -hmm. So it's usually pretty easy events to get a list of who's delinquent on taxes from your local taxing authority. In most places, that's the county. Some places is the city. In Louisiana, of course, it would be the parish. So there's two leads for you to get in on these things early. And I see that you have another question, Vince, but we need to take a break. So we'll answer it afterwards. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My guest is Tiffany Ray. We're talking about the foreclosure landscape right now at this moment. You can call in with questions at 877-772-9658, or you can send them via email, askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Tiffany Ray, housing provider, short sale investor, 20 years in the banking industry, co-leader of the Women in Real Estate group at Cincinnati RIA, and head of the CMAC committee, which does all the outreach to like, you know, city councils and media and all that sort of thing on behalf of local investors. So busy gal. And we appreciate her being here today to share her experienced view. Like, you know, nobody's got a crystal ball. We don't really know like exactly what's going to happen, but we, some of us do have our history books and we're right now looking back through the history books in terms of what's likely to be around in terms of challenges and opportunities around foreclosures over the next few months and years. So going back, Tiffany, to Vince's question, the second part of his question was, is it possible to wholesale a short sale? So, Vincent, that is a very loaded question, and I'm going to give you a very short answer. Yes, it is possible. Um, I, I will say that many uh, companies have a arm's length transaction clause that you have to fulfill, and some of them have a time requirement, but there is a way to do it. And I would suggest you come to our creative deal making class and learn all the ins and outs of how to protect yourself and creatively uh, master this subject so that you can wholesale your, your, your short sale. (laughs) Yeah, that, that actually kind of brings us around to the next topic, which is a lot of us have super rusty short sale and REO skills because mm-hmm. the last time, the last time they were really so available that we were making offers on short sales or bank owned properties, like on a, a weekly or monthly basis, was probably 2014. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were hot and heavy from 2007 to 2011, and then they just as as the rates dropped and the uh, the inventory got absorbed and market started going up. So there was less need for banks to do short sales because there was equity protecting their loans. It just sort of, you know, haven't, haven't even thought about them for a long time. I'm sure the process has changed in some way (laughs) since back in those early days when it was all chaos and faxes and all of that sort of stuff. Um, Any insight into 
some of the things we're going to need to know and skills we're going to need to have this time around? Yeah, so uh, I, I always say that the uh, loss mitigation department or uh, processor is your friend. Um, and that is the person that you're going to target, right? Um, the process wholly is fundamentally the same. However, again, you're going to struggle with the volume. So I'm, I'm suggesting that if you've earmarked a particular company or area that you want to work with where you know that volume is high, then you start making your contacts now. It, they're, they're going to recognize your name and they'll be, um, more apt to look at your items and then m- make a, a sound offer. Cash is king always and make sure that your packet is very complete and you are also providing them with uh, your input because you're the seasons per- season person that knows that landscape, maybe even better than the person sitting miles and miles away. Okay. Well, t- talk, talk about that packet because I hear that you, I hear that word associated <laughs> with short sales a lot, short sale packet. What all am I putting in that packet and why? Yeah, so it it is um the the resume or booklet if you will or dossier for that particular property in your offer. So of course your offer letter um it, it, your offer is going to go into that packet. Again, cash is king, not not necessarily short sale but more full sale. So you're thinking about the entire amount that the bank is owed. Uh, also in that offer you're going to give any type of valuable market analysis that would influence that deal thinking that somebody that is the loss mitigator is sitting miles and miles away you're going to get make sure that your offer gives a quick uh closing date you hey you might want to forego that inspection um it depends on how brave you are wh- you know what your risk tolerance is and that and so when i say packet it, it's all of the items and I can run you a laundry list, but it's all of the items that make it that they don't have to call you. You need to make sure that you're in contact with the seller so that you have permission to speak because you're going to want to follow up as well. So that's another item that's very, very important. And Oh, if you have a pre-approval or you um, are pre-approved for funds or you could send them proof of funds, go ahead and send it. Don't wait for them to ask you anything. Everything that you feel like they need, send the documentation in because you don't have, might not have time for another second bite at the apple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, question here from Anita, who again, doesn't say where she's from. I guess I'm going to have to, uh, although this, this particular question, it's kind of the same all over the country is, why would a bank sell me a house that somebody else owns? I don't understand why I'm contacting a banker when it when the house is in foreclosure and the owner still officially owns the property. And that's a that's a question I we we should we should explain that ten minutes ago. I s- skipped that stage because that is a common misunderstanding that I see a how I see a foreclosure filing. Mm-hmm. So I call up the bank and I say, I say, I would like to offer you $10,000 for that house. And the bank says, what are you talking about? We don't have a house like that. That That's that's not how this pre-foreclosure part of the process works. So let's start, Tiffany, with I see the foreclosure filing. It's a I can tell it's a distressed house. It's a neighborhood I really like. Want to help the seller out of this situation as best I can. What's my very first step? Your first, very, very first step is to make contact with the owner of the property. 
You're going to find them uh, how by whatever means postcard knock on the door. Um, that's what Bill Cook would say. Knock on the door and have a conversation or um, auditor's office. But you need to contact them and find out why would you sell such a nice house like this? <laughs> You're killing me. Um, yeah, because it is correct that up until the point of the sheriff's auction or the trustee's auction, depending on where you live or the commissioner's auction, it's it's called in some places, that seller's in control of that property. That's right. They get to decide whether to sell it or not, not the bank. The only reason that you're contacting the bank is hoping that the number that the seller has been sent that says this is everything you owe, including legal fees and penalties, and you haven't paid in two years, so like... Your actual balance is only 175, but we, there's also $25,000 worth of fees added on that maybe you can get a better deal by saying, can we, can we get rid of the fees? I'm willing, I'm willing to pay off the loan, but how about not the fees? Bank won't even talk to you until not only have you talked to the seller, you have a contract from the seller and then a document that I assume goes into this package you were talking about. From the seller saying to the bank, it's okay to talk to Tiffany about this deal. That's right. And and not only is that document important, you may want to make sure to have the owner make sure that the bank doesn't require their own power of attorney. A lot of them are starting to do that. And, and what happens is people... I'm not saying anybody out there does that, but people will make up power of attorneys so that they can talk and get information. And sometimes those have to be validated. So many banks are turning to this is my form and and the customer has to request it so that I know that it's the customer and then it has to be sent back. So that's very, very important. Yeah, it sounds like um, it sounds like short sales are their own little subspecialty that people have to people have to really sit down and study these things because there's there's I mean, a part of the problem is. A normal uh, real estate transaction has no more than three people involved, right? The buyer, the seller, and maybe a real estate agent. Possibly only two. Maybe just the buyer and the seller. And now you've thrown in this whole other player. And that player has players. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. like, if it's an FHA or VA loan, FHA and VA don't make loans. They insure loans. Mm-hmm. And they have their own requirements about if the bank is going to agree to take any kind of discount, they have to approve it because they're the insurer. And yeah, I mean, it can be a super profitable niche, but it's not, it's not something you can just kind of, I don't know, walk out and start doing tomorrow if you don't know anything about Not at all. Studying is a a definite thing for, for short sales. Yeah. And, uh, and, and again, they do change all the time. So if your last education and short sales happened in 2006, it might be time to like, I don't know, get the polishing rag and polish off those skills because they're, they, they're probably a little bit different now. Uh, we're going to take another quick break. We're talking today to Tiffany Ray about the foreclosure landscape and, she definitely see some opportunities coming up. Maybe not as not, not the deep discounts that you were hoping for, but heck, there's equity anyway. So if you can get it at the loan balance and get the penalties wiped out, that's probably a win for you. We're also taking your questions at this point. Probably a good idea just to email them in. The email address is askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to 
Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Tiffany Ray, who uh, has a whole presentation on this planned out for tomorrow night's online RIA meeting, which we have waived the guest fee for because it's just an important, we're calling it back to the future, because <laughs> Tiffany's going to talk about her experience and what she sees going forward, and you have to roll back a decade to to have deep experience in the short sale field. And then Pete Fortunato, Dyke Spotterford, Dave Tilney, and Jane Garvey are going to be um, arguing it out. Eh, probably not. They'll probably all agree with each other about what are some good strategies to be thinking about and engaging in and some bad strategies to be engaging in given the current inflation and I don't know if y'all were listening to the news before the show, but the Fed just did their thing and raised rates a quarter percent and are saying they could do it five more times in 2022. What does that do to the market? What does it do to your cash flow when you're borrowing money at a point higher? What does it do to your ability to sell properties when people's uh, people's income is not going up 25% a year because that's that's what, or 20%? That's what a one point rate hike equals it equals a 25% rate height when you're starting at uh, 3% and going to 4%, right? Am I doing that math right? Anyway, going to be a big meeting, uh, potentially overly big. So uh, if you want to make sure you get a link, you probably should go to CincinnatiRia.com and do that. That's tomorrow night. Um, so... Tiffany, you, you've already said that you think there's some good opportunities here in the pre-foreclosure part of the process. Because, mm-hmm. man, once it, once it gets advertised for auction, everybody in the world knows about it. Once it goes through the auction, if the bank ends up happening to own it, then it goes eventually, after many months, into multiple listing service where everyone in the world is fighting over it. It's at that pre-foreclosure stage before it is listed that I think you're seeing chances for investors to get involved, do good things for homeowners who've kind of shrugged their shoulders over the house and maybe get themselves a nice deal. That's right. So um, we've talked about um, the property tax increases being away, and we've talked about the uh, default, the 306090 list that uh, Vina referenced being away. Um, it, it's some of it is also going to be geographical, right? Um, because people are wanting to move to warmer climates and, you know, they're wanting to move to more environmentally friendly clients as our climates as well. And so I think that there's going to be some opportunity there for people who, uh, would maybe consider a strategic default to try to move to some of those areas where jobs are booming. Um, it's, and so where they're leaving, is the opportunity because we're still short houses and getting the short sale and, and turning it into some type of housing um, is still going to be a niche. But I also think that there's an area of opportunity in the senior market, right? So that's one of the biggest growing markets there is out here mm-hmm. is, is our geriatric population, right? And their income, let's face it, it, it's not meeting up with inflation. The gas prices, the cost of meat. Have you seen that lately? Oh, I'm telling you, that's I, I, what really worries me about the inflation is the impact it has on people with fixed incomes. Mm-hmm. Because 
The government doesn't send you more in your Social Security check because gas went from a dollar seventy to four dollars. It's it's. I mean, they do eventually. I mean, eventually, Congress will make a, you know, a budgetary thing, and we'll we'll start raising up the um, all of the uh, different checks that are going out to people. But it it tends to be a slow process. Mm-hmm. So, you know, wage earners have a hard time during inflationary times, but seniors, people on any sort of fixed income, suffer. Mm-hmm. Not that I remember the '70s at all, because I wasn't born yet. <laughs> I'm winking at Tiffany's rolling her eyes. Uh, but I do remember, you know, my, my mom taking me to the grocery store every week and, and saying, Oh my gosh, I can't buy coffee this week because it's gone up a dollar a bag. And, and, uh, you know, but the grocery budget is blown because chicken went up a dollar and, you know, the stuff we need to eat, uh, went up and, and we weren't on a fixed income. So you saw stories back then about seniors who were literally, Having to move in, get roommates, uh, just just to afford their day to day living expenses. So so opportunities in, on both sides of that, um, help, helping those folks, you know, sell their houses, get the equity, find another place, and then also housing them mm-hmm. at the back end, which I know is something that you are right. passionate about. Is oh oh I lost there, some oh. lost some sound there. Yeah. Yes, very 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 passionate about that. Um, working on a project right now that hope, um, got my fingers crossed that comes to fruition about housing, affordable housing and quality housing for seniors. You're right. Very close to me, but, uh, you're right. The increases to their salary is not timely and, and there are senior populations. So we, we need to help them figure mm-hmm. out what they're going to do next. Yeah. And there's a lot of them. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the, for years, the baby boomers were bucking. Every prediction of every demo- demographer, which was, oh, they're all going to want to sell their big houses and move into condos or ranch houses or things like that when they when they turn 65 and knew they didn't do that. Like There was supposed to be this huge influx of properties on the market and they didn't do that. They stayed in place mm-hmm. for many, many, many years. But now, you know, some a lot of them are way past that 65 into that 80, 85 and they're they are starting in fact, to sell in this, uh, if they owe money on their houses or their taxes have gone up a lot, mm-hmm. um, this could hurry that process along. So we'll be uh, looking for uh, solutions on both sides of that. And of course, how do we make money in real estate? We provide solutions for That's people right. with housing problems. Okay. A question here from JC in Las Vegas. And this this may... I think I think either one of us would just be guessing about this one. This is a this is a typical JC question. To what extent do you think banks will renegotiate forbearance plans if the borrowers are unable to make their required payment and they do have income but it's reduced income? So that was that was a pretty common thing back when they were mm-hmm. you know dealing with the the last housing crisis. Well, the difference and then I'll let you chime in uh, Vena, the difference is that most of the houses are not going to be underwater like they were during the Great Recession. So the uh, formula equity is not there for the bank to actually write that property down to allow them to stay. And then, you know, there's also the component where they have to prove that they can pay to stay in the house. And, and that hasn't changed. We're still looking at uh, DTI of 30 percent. 
Yeah, and Dodd Frank made it made it a lot harder to do that sort of modification uh-huh. where you say, well, you know, let's pay what you can for a while. You have to qualify for those modifications. Right. Uh, just got a whole bunch of questions in via email, so and we got like three minutes left, so we'll try and hit these as quick as possible. Natalie in Cincinnati says, "Can you buy foreclosures in your self directed IRA?" Yes, you can, Natalie. That is actually sort of a repeat of a previous question that we kind of asked. Um, can you, uh, this is from Laura here in Cincinnati. She says, can you be the negotiator with the bank and also the buyer of the property? How does a real estate agent play a role in this? Well, uh, you don't necessarily have to have a real estate agent unless the property is already listed. So yet the answer to your question, Laura, is yes. So yes, you can be a, both. you can be both the person buying and the person talking to the bank. Uh, if there is a real estate agent between you and the bank, which is, is common. A lot of Possible. people do call a real estate agent uh-huh. when they decide they don't want the house anymore. Uh, then you have to stay in contact with the real estate agent because they're under contract. Yep. Yeah. And, and what they would say, what the, not all agents are experienced short sale negotiators. <laughs> So you may have to help an agent who has not done this before through the process from your educated perspective. And finally, Jennifer says, where can I get a foreclosure list? Well, you can purchase them much like Vina said, and you could also go to your clerk of courts. A lot of them are online now, and some of them have newspapers, but most of that information is readily available at your fingertips Mm -hmm. online. One of the easiest lists to get. There's a lot of folks who sell them. There's, Mm -hmm. they're usually available in the public record, just like Tiffany said. And, um, yeah, so we are just about out of time here, Tiffany. Appreciate this, and I think people will, the people who come to the Cincinnati Reading Meeting tomorrow night will really benefit from seeing you talk about this with slides and your flow mm-hmm. chart and all of that sort of thing. Uh, again, inviting everybody anywhere in the country to come to that meeting. It, it We just threw it open to the public because it's such a big, wonderful topic, and we all need to figure out what we're going to do over the next few months and years at CincinnatiRIA.com. Cincinnati, R-E-I-A dot com. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.